This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 529, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, November 22nd. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 529. It's our Comic Reviews episode for releases from the week of Wednesday, November 22nd. Uh, let's just jump right in. Uh, there's a lot of books that came out uh, on the 22nd, but uh, these are some of the ones we're not going to be talking about. Uh, and by that number, I include Action Comics, All New Wolverine, uh, Amazing Spider-Man New Year Vows 13, which is kind of a, a major shift for that book. Uh, Batgirl, Batman Beyond, Black Panther, Blue Beetle, Cable, uh, Detective Comics, Generation X, Justice League of America, Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur, Punisher, The Platoon, uh, Royals, Silver Sable and the Wild Pack, uh, making one of those kind of legacy one-shots, uh, Spider-Man, Deadpool, Star Wars, Suicide Squad, Teen Titans, Thanos, The Demon, Hell is Earth, The Flash, and Wonder Woman. So with all of that, what the heck are we going to talk about today? Uh, first up, uh, alphabetically, is Doomsday Clock number one. This was the big release from uh, DC that week, um, and they've been talking about this for a long time. This is by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. I personally don't know if I really cared for it. Um, I mean, it, it's it's beautifully illustrated. It picks up on the beats of um, of Watchmen and kind of is a few years later, and it's kind of showing that uh, everything that Ozymandias did was kind of for naught because uh, it ended up being that Rorschach kind of got the last... Uh, the last laugh there, and it, it ended up uh, not being the secret kind of plan that Ozymandias thought it would be. He kind of went, ended up going on the run. Um, so this issue plays a lot more like just another issue of uh, Watchmen, but just kind of moving forward and, and, and telling a direct sequel to it, um, which is interesting. And then at the very end, we get you know a little bit of uh, Superman and his kind of a flashback for Superman, him having a dream, not a flashback, sorry. And then, uh, and then that, that's kind of the issue. And I guess my problem with this is that it didn't feel like a, an issue of a comic book in a lot of ways. Like it felt like a, uh, how do I put this? I feel like comic books used to be, you told a complete story and, more and more now we get chapters but not complete issues and I feel like my problem with this is that it didn't feel like as an issue it had a really solid beginning middle and end which is kind of a weird thing to say but like you're getting the first issue of a 12 issue maxi series and I felt like I got set up but I didn't really get a conclusion to anything that really happened here I got uh, some events I you know got caught up to speed on what happened um, the kind of not ruin Watchmen, but Watchmen's kind of perfect because it ends with a certain note of the world has been saved. Um, if only someone would read that journal, they'd know that it was all a farce. And so there's something to that. There's something to that idea that it's kind of kind of got this interesting open ending that you know yeah, it could be great or it could not be, and um, we don't really know where it's going to go from there. Um, but here in the book, it very conclusively says no, it didn't work out. Uh, the smartest man in the world couldn't have accounted for this one thing, and it all came tumbling down, which is fine. But I, I feel like, and I've talked, I think I've talked about this before, about the idea of if you look at the Star Wars films, you got that the first original trilogy, and at the end you have the sense of a happy ending. Now a little bit silly, but I mean they killed the emperor. The idea is that they're going to win. The, you know the rebellion is going to win. They've killed the you know the the major person, the emperor. They can take down the rest. Although realistically, there's a lot of, a lot involved. You can't just take out the emperor and assume that a whole galactic empire is going to fall apart. But the idea is that you you know you take this person out and it's going to be a happy ending. So when you get to the end of Return of 
the Jedi, you have the sense that things are going to be good now. There's a, a nice, you know, um, everything seems to be good with Han and Leia. Uh, you get this sense, this feeling that things are going to be good now. And for most people who did not read the books or any of the other expanded universe stuff, that was the end of the story. That was a happy end of the story. Uh, the, the heroes won. And then you get Force Awakens, and you undo that. You undo the happy ending. That idea that people had no longer exists. So for you know, for 30 years, more than 30 years, people assumed that there was a happy ending, and then you take that away from people. And I kind of feel that way about Watchmen. That Not that it was a happy ending, but it had an ending. And you kind of knew what was going to happen, and the idea that you know whether Ozymandias was right or wrong, he succeeded. And that was kind of interesting. Um... And now, now that's gone. And again, it's been about 30 years, and now, now that's something that gets ripped away. Um, the before Watchmen books that came up before were about kind of putting things in in the, in the past. So it didn't really ruin the story. And I, I'm not going to say this ruins the story either. It just changes it in the same way that Force Awakens changes the Star Wars story. Um, again... I know that there's books. I know that there's books that explore a lot of the post-Return of the Jedi era. However, for most people, those don't exist, and the movies are what do exist. The movies are the ones that were the most popular. They're the, the broadest entertainment, easiest for people to get into, and that's what people know. So I just feel like here, what does this really add? And so far, I'm not really sure what it does. I feel like it detracts a little. It kind of uh, weakens kind of the end of the story. I mean, it weakens that... That idea of it kind of being, you can imagine in your mind what happens if something happens, if Worsax Journal ever makes it anywhere, if it just sits there forever. Does it ever matter? Um, you know, does Ozymandias really truly get away with it? And that's kind of remains with the reader, and that's interesting. And taking that away, I find, is less interesting. Um, the art here is gorgeous. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to make this work in such a way that to add in uh, Superman and, and everything else is really going to feel like a natural step. I'm interested to see how they try and do that, but so far Doomsday Clock number one is basically, you know, after Watchmen, and then what, two, three pages of Superman? But him having a bad dream? Like, that's, that's not an issue. Um, that's just a bunch of stuff that happened on a page, but doesn't feel united yet. And I, I feel like if you go back and read the original Watchmen, like you had a sense of what each issue was about, and you feel like you got some sort of conclusion, even though the overall storyline was still continuing. Anyways, I'm going to stop harping on it. Um, on the art alone, I'm going to give it a six, but I think it's a little weak um, as a story. Um, it didn't quite captivate me. Next up is Invincible Iron Man. This is issue 594, um, which uh, doesn't feel like it's really gone anywhere from where we were in the last issue, really. Um, it's The Search for Tony Stark Part 2, which I wouldn't call it much of a search yet, by Brian Michael Bendis and Stefano Caselli and Alex Maleev. Um, makes sense that you have the artists behind Iron Man, sorry, Invincible Iron Man and, and Infamous Iron Man kind of coming together and kind of splitting uh, duties here. Um, I guess what this kind of underlines for me reading it is a, a, an overall sense that I feel like since Matt Fraction left Iron Man like there hasn't been a clear sense of what his companies are really doing or what he even does and then like I just don't even know what Iron Man's company is really supposed to be like I see it on the pages it's the industries but I just feel like they've gone through so many permutations over the years and I mean the last like few years that I don't find it a good sense of continuity to my liking um, it used to be a very, like, he had one company, then it became, it was, you know, uh, Stark Industries, then it was Stark Enterprises, uh, then I believe it was Stark, 
solutions. And like there, there was a, a very clear kind of thorough. Um, I don't know what the word is, but there's a clear through through line you could you could draw. And now I just don't even know how he even has a company or money because they keep saying like, oh, he has no money, but then he has this huge company, and there's there's board members who are kind of seen like all assholes. Um, you, you know, you have people running the company, but they don't really see, they have a sense of what the company actually even does anymore. Um, I just feel like it's kind of weird lip service, and that's what we get a lot of here. And we have the idea that uh, the Stark Industries, you know, wants Riri Booms to kind of back down and, and surrender, and so they bring in this this character who was previously on, um, I guess, the Uncanny X Men when Bendis wrote it, which just makes sense. He just likes to use his own characters, feed them in other books, even when they don't, don't necessarily belong. Um, I like Gold Balls, but did he need to be an Ultimate Spider Man? Uh, not at all, or Spider Man, sorry. It's, Old habits die hard, and and then you have at the same time of you have the Stark Industries board of directors trying to kind of seize control of the company again. Uh, then you also have Alex Maleev illustrating um, the you know Doctor Doom going up against a ton of supervillains, and I didn't really buy this either. Um, this whole kind of sequence didn't really feel very valid to me. And then the last page is just someone in the Iron Man armor just kind of sitting there, and that's again no further than the last issue really was. Um, I, I just found this very slow plotting and not that exciting i'm gonna give it a five and uh yeah it just didn't really work for me uh now next up we have an iron uh, sorry iron man we have a uh, luke cage 167 uh this is actually quite interesting uh, it's written by david f walker artwork by guillermo sana uh and this i thought was really interesting the idea that you know now luke cage is in prison uh with, with by because of the ringmaster um doesn't even necessarily know who he is there's like a big brawls going down in, in prison um this I mean, the only problem I have with this issue, uh, or this current um, storyline, is is not in any way the fault of any of the creators. It's just the way that they're writing the Ringmaster here, and the way he uses his mind control, seems very reminiscent, and, re and reminds me a lot of Purple Man, as Bendis re-envisioned him when he was doing his alias run back in the aughts. Um, that's not a criticism, it's just that's the way it kind of feels. Um, I still like this issue quite a lot. I'm going to give it a seven. I thought the art could have been a little tighter, um, but uh, I and uh, the details seemed a little loose at times. So I didn't. I wasn't as huge a fan of the art as I wanted to be, but I did like the story. So I'm going to give it a seven. Uh, next up, we have the Nightwing: The New Order, number four of six, uh, which is kind of a, it's kind of an interesting, you know, um, not mainline story like it's characters obviously behave a little bit differently than what we would expect them to normally act uh, it's written by Kyle Higgins I work by Trevor McCarthy um, I like the use of the Titans here is kind of interesting uh, the way that you know Nightwing has to kind of figure out how to how to what to do next and how to team up with the Titans so that he can save his son um, I don't think I realized that Corey was still alive, so that was kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting just to see how the Titans really don't appreciate what Nightwing's done and how they're a resistance group. And uh, I also like the flashbacks to kind of classic um, moments from yesteryear. Um, this, I find generally a, an enjoyable book. Um, I'm going to give it an 8, and I don't think I have a lot much more to say than that, but I have been enjoying it. And last but not least is X-Men Gold, and this is issue 16. Uh, it's the Negative Zone War Part 1. Um, by Guggenheim and Medina. Uh, I didn't really enjoy this. It, it felt very kind of lackluster. And then you have uh, a brief invasion from the uh, Negative Zone as they're trying to uh, you know, rescue the character who had that focus a few issues ago, that alien. And uh, But now some of the uh, X-Men's team members were on that, so they have to go 
and uh, take him out. So uh, I, I just didn't quite like that. And what I thought was interesting, though, was that uh, on the letters pages, they were mentioning someone, I guess, had an issue of um, Kurt and Rachel's kiss recently coming out of nowhere. And that's like, this just sounds kind of weird. And uh, it's interesting that they actually took a, took a cut from Uncanny X-Men 450, which is a while ago. And I believe it's by Chris Claremont and Alan Davis. And they show a panel of it. And it's this idea of... Um, uh, there's, I forget even when this exactly this is supposed to be happening. I think it was just in the danger room, and you have uh, Nightcrawler and um, and Rachel, and then they uh, they almost have a bit of a spark flying and almost a, a kind of a lip lock happening. So it's interesting that, that that it was kind of a that was something I actually totally forgot about that there is kind of a, a precedent for that. So it's interesting when sometimes you can get a deep cut uh, going back into this type of stuff. Um, but overall, I thought the issue was a little a little stale. Um, the artwork was not as vibrant as it has been, and I found the story a little bit boring, so I'm going to give it a six. I guess the la- the best thing I read was Nightwing the New Order, because uh, I didn't really like Mitz Man, Doomsday Clock, or X-Men Gold. So uh, not a lot of great stuff for me this issue, or this episode, or this week's comics. Man, I can't even speak. Um, so next week, we'll uh, we'll talk about releases from Wednesday, November 29th, which was actually my birthday. Uh, so anything good come out on my birthday? Well, uh, a lot of annuals from DC, so not a lot of kind of major releases. Um, I am interested in reading the new issue of Jean Grey, though, as well as new issue of Moon Knight, although I'm a little bit behind on it. Uh, new issue of Old Man Logan. Um, uh, the Super Sons annual I'm excited for. The, I believe the last issue of US Avengers, new issue of Venom, and X-Men Blue. So there's some good stuff that we'll be talking about next week our next episode either coming out today or tomorrow will be our conversation with uh cory oh my god now i forgot to pronounce his last name seidelmeyer i've been probably butchering that now um but uh he is a collections editor at marvel he's been at marvel a long time or worked in various capacities for marvel for quite a long time we had a two and a half hour conversation i found about the marvel masterworks program his time at at Marvel, um, catalog in the Marvel archives, a lot of great stuff. So you'll want to uh, keep an eye out for that episode when it comes out shortly. Uh, thank you again for listening. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, for, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.